I'm Aaron Reynolds, and you're listening to Explain Like I'm Five on the 2020 Network. The age of the personal check is coming to a close. While tools such as Interag eTransfer have largely taken their place for personal use, many businesses are still reliant on checks. 54% of businesses believe they are spending too much time on payment processing. What will it take for companies to finally ditch the check? Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. I like to think that I'm an intelligent guy, but I know more about Avadra Kedavra than I do about the Magna Carta, and that's kind of a problem. So on this show, I'm inviting really smart people to explain stuff to me like I'm five. Today I'm talking to Ann Connolly, and I'm going to read something from Ann's bio here because I think it's, I think it's really going to help understand where I'm at with understanding this topic. Uh, Anne Connolly is passionate about harnessing blockchain and decentralized technology to transform the lives of people in developing countries. I understand all of those individual words, but I do not understand that as a sentence. And so my goal today uh, while talking to you, Anne, is to, uh, to come away at the end of this being able to read that sentence and have a good picture in my mind of what's happening. How does that sound? That sounds great. Thanks so much for having me today. Well, thanks for agreeing to be with us. Uh, You are in California right now. That's right. I've been uh, down in Silicon Valley for some meetings and up in L.A. before I head back to uh, home country of Canada. Excellent. So um, I'm going to start with then the the very big question. uh, What is blockchain? (laughs) That is a big question. It's a giant question. Uh, So the key thing to understand about blockchain, first and foremost, is it's an infrastructure level technology. And there are many different blockchains out there, and they all have different features and are good for using in different use cases. But if you think about the most basic version of a blockchain, essentially what you can think about is in every single financial transaction all around the world that we do every day between people, between companies, between banks, if that all that information was stored in a single ledger, a single place, so everyone could see all the transactions going back and forth all around the world, that's kind of like a blockchain. But with blockchain, all of these little transactions are grouped together in blocks. So they're kind of processed in these little blocks. And then the blocks are linked together in the format of a chain, hence a blockchain. Now, the really cool thing is, A blockchain, those blocks are linked together with cryptographic hashes, essentially cryptographically linked together, which doesn't really matter exactly how. What's important to know is that every block has a little piece of information about the block before it. So if you wanted to go in, let's say, and hack one of the transactions, let's say I owed you $1,000 and I wanted to pretend like I really only owed you a dollar. If I wanted to do that, I would not only have to hack that block that the transaction is in, but I would have to hack every single block that came after it because that little piece of information would change. Um, And so that makes it really, really difficult to hack. Now, the other really cool thing about it is that a copy of this ledger, a copy of this sort of store of all these different transactions is stored on thousands of computers all over the world at exactly the same time. And so If you wanted to hack that block and were able to do it and were able to hack every single block that came after it, not only would you have to do it once, but you'd have to do it on all of those computers all over the world. And that's what makes blockchain so amazing is that it's basically impossible to hack. 
um, which means that you can have this big ledger where all of the transactions are kept, but you don't need to trust anyone in order to keep that transaction record going. Right. So, so the idea then is that you're not trusting like a single individual or a single security team, but it's uh, the system itself is built to, to give you that trust. Exactly. Because when you look at it, there's there's sort of three really key properties. And one is that it's public. So everyone can see all of the transactions. Um, just like if you had, you know, transfers from one bank account number to another bank account number, you don't necessarily know who's behind it. But if you had to show someone and prove to them that a transaction had, could, had happened, you could do that. Um, it's also immutable, which means you can't change or edit it after the transaction has happened, which means you can't go back and, and make changes to it, um, which is really key. So these are some of the, the really important properties of blockchain. And the last one being, of course, that nobody owns it. So it's not like if I had uh, a really good friend, like I was friends with Bill Gates, and I said, look, I want you to just shut down this blockchain. He couldn't do that. It's totally decentralized. And so it really becomes something that's in the hands of the participants that are using it. Okay. That's that's really interesting. I was actually reading uh, only this morning about, uh, oh, I forget where it was. It was a, a detailed article about uh, the man who uh, for years was scamming the McDonald's Monopoly game. <laughs> yes. uh, and he was, you know, giving game pieces to, you know, his friends and things like that because he was the person in charge of security for the game pieces. And so uh, this is interesting. The idea is it's a it's a system so that that someone who would be inclined to do that is just not able to do something That's like that. Exactly it. So it's huge for preventing corruption um, and for providing transparency. And first and foremost, just for removing the need for a trusted party um, in in transactions where you don't trust each other. So let's say you and I wanted to make a bet but we didn't know each other. I mean, I could I could make that bet and take the chance that at the end you wouldn't pay me, but more than likely we would find a third party, like a, a mutual friend or a betting website to provide that trust in our relationship. But with blockchain, you can do something really cool that's called a smart contract. So essentially you code a contract between the two of us that says at the end of the football game we've bet on, Um, If my team wins, then there's an automatic transfer of funds. And then at the end of the game, we could all check. I can, you can, the public can to see that that transaction happened as it should have. Um, And that means essentially that we don't need the betting website anymore. We don't need any party that's there just to provide trust and not to add any other additional value. Okay. Okay. That makes sense to me. So thank you for that part. Um, And so here I'm going to bring up uh, the idea of, of Bitcoin because financial examples are, are, are what you've concentrated on and they definitely make a lot of sense for, for blockchain. So uh, what is blockchain's relationship to Bitcoin? Right. So Bitcoin is essentially a, it's a digital currency um, and it uses blockchain. So if you're using the Bitcoin blockchain, um, all those transactions we've been talking about are happening in the currency of Bitcoin. So essentially what it is, is a currency that is not owned or managed by any one government. So we, we talk a lot about, you know, the separation of church and state and the separation of, of a lot of these things away from centralized government. But very seldomly do we talk about separating money from government or from geographic areas. And that's essentially what it's doing. 
Um, it's, it's taking a money supply and creating, you know, an ecosystem and an economy that isn't managed or governed by, um, you know, a traditional governing body. And what's really exciting about that, and I, I get a lot of people in Canada who ask me, well, why on earth would you want money that isn't backed by government? Um, and what I say to them is, you know, maybe in Canada, you wouldn't necessarily want that. But if you're living in Zimbabwe, where the inflation rate was 80 billion percent in 2008, right. um, having the choice of government free money isn't just, you know, a nifty way to buy a cup of coffee in the morning. It's really about survival. It's really about knowing that the money that you earn on Monday will buy you food on Friday for your family. And there's a lot of cases like that around the world where if you can't actually count on your government to properly manage the financial system, you can be hugely disadvantaged um, or even put into difficult situations of starvation like we've seen in Venezuela um, or just a complete inability to you know, run a business like you've seen in a lot of places like Argentina. So there's, you know, when you look at the, the world as a whole, government-backed financial systems, their track record's actually not that good. I mean, the other neat thing I can, I can say as well is that when you look at having a, a currency that's not backed by borders or is not encumbered by borders, you can send this money around the world really easily. So if I wanted to send money to the Democratic Republic of Congo right now, that would be very difficult to do. I might have to send it through two or three banks. It might take a couple of weeks. There might be a lot of forms to fill in. Um, and fundamentally, I am uh, bound by the rules of those banks as to whether I can send that money or not and where it can go. They might just say, we're not willing to take the risk on sending money to Congo, and then I'm, I'm stuck. Otherwise, I could use Western Union like a lot of people do. If you look at the international remittance market, it's more than $586 billion that's sent worldwide every year. But the reality is for a lot of these people who are sending money home, the fees on those transfers are astronomical. You know, they're between 8 and 12%, which if you don't have a lot of disposable income is a right, lot of money. A big chunk of it. Um, I was actually just thinking about, uh, I had a, a situation a couple of years ago where I needed to move money from, um, basically from an American bank to a Canadian bank, and uh, it was all lost for about three weeks. Uh, they, they lost all of my money, and until one of the banks found it, uh, I was sort of stuck. Um, and so, this really is resonating with me on that level. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, I want to sort of dive into, uh, because you have touched a little bit on uh, the the social good of it, uh, the idea of uh, using it in places where uh, banking infrastructure is not as uh, strong or trustworthy. Um, is this what we're talking about when we're talking about using it to transform the lives of people in developing countries? I think that's just the very most basic use case of how it can start to transform these people's lives. Where you get um, you know, to the next step is if you look at refugees, for example. So one of the biggest areas in blockchain is this idea of self-sovereignty, this idea that right now your identity is kind of given to you by the country you were born in. But really, everyone should have an identity that they manage and control that says who they are, no matter where it is they come from or where they're going. Um, and so if you think about right now, you know, the, the Syrians who are running for their lives or a lot of the other people around the world who just don't live in safe places and know they have to, you know, uh, go to a new country. If you run and, and you arrive at the border with nothing but the clothes on your back, it's very difficult to prove who you are, where you came from, 
um, to essentially bring who you were with you to this next place. So with blockchain technology, you can put your identity on a blockchain and have that be verifiable, essentially. So you can get to this new country, you can prove within minutes that you are who you say you are and you come from where you say you come from. So they'll let you in a lot faster. Um, you could put all of your life savings into cryptocurrency that, you know, if you have nothing with you when you get to the border, you can access it using the internet um, and, you know, uh, convert it into local currency. So you're less dependent on the country that's taking you in. You can also have your educational certificates on a blockchain, meaning that they're 100% verifiable uh, and legitimate. So there's less educational fraud, but it makes it easier for you to get a job in your new country. Um, and so this is really where I see a lot of the massive benefit is this idea that um, you can take your life with you wherever you go and, and make it easier for refugees to actually start their second life in a new location and be less dependent on the countries taking them in. The idea of a, a like a digital passport or more, I guess, like a digital wallet, because the things you're touching on there are like all the things I would use to identify myself, pay for things, uh, prove who I am all through blockchain. Now, what sort of what sort of infrastructure then does that need? What does that need at our borders? What does that need? You know, how does that play out in real life? Yeah, so that's where things are starting to be created at this moment. A lot of these are ideas that people are working on. So it's, but hypothetically, you know, someone would show up, they have nothing, they could stick their fingerprints into an application that's linked to blockchain, and, and that would show the border that that person uh, is verified. So it would be very, very easy in that sense. Or the person could memorize a particular password that would, same thing, through an app, um, open up their, their verification. There's programs right now that work inside refugee camps that use biometrics like retinal scans um, to ensure people have access to all the rations that they're entitled to as refugees. Um, and they can use that to shop around, which is great. So there's um, there's lots of possibilities. I mean, I think when you look at the most basic services and, and basic access to things, blockchain is going to ensure that there's a, a much more equitable distribution, there's less fraud, um, and it's also just much more efficient. So there's uh, the case of the World Food Program. They have a really exciting project where they've noticed that often when there's a famine, the problem isn't that there isn't enough food available. The problem is that people don't have enough money to buy it. And so what they've moved to instead of providing food to these people is to pro provide them with cash transfers. But of course, if you're sending cash to someone, there's a risk they're not going to spend it on food. It's, it's a very cumbersome thing to do. So they're looking at using cryptocurrencies that they can easily send to someone um, and, uh, and then they can spend it to buy the food in the grocery stores in the neighborhood in which they live. And then the World Food Program will convert the tokens that um, they get from these food purchases into regular cash. Um, and what they found is that that system has helped them save millions of dollars just in pure uh, transaction costs and, and um, the increasing the efficiency of the whole process, meaning there's more money to actually help people. Okay. And so is that, is that a process that is in place right now and is active and live? That one is. They've done a project in uh, Pakistan and another one in Lebanon, I believe it was, or Jordan, working with Syrian refugees. Fabulous. Are there, are there mm -hmm. other uses like that that are out there? Are there other things that are live that are, that are trying to do uh, something with blockchain? 
There are a number of, of live cases. There's been things in the area of supply chain. So there was a, a shipment that was sent, I believe, from Australia to Asia. And as soon as the shipment was scanned at its uh, recipient port, um, a smart contract triggered a transfer of ownership and a transfer of funds between the two parties. Um, so there's kind of the facilitated tracking where money and information travel alongside directly with the product versus some of the more manual processes that we see in the supply chain area. Um, there's also a lot of work in terms of impact measurement and kind of pay for success models in the charity sector. So there's a company called Alice that's doing um, essentially projects with charities where once they can verify that work has been achieved, then more donations will be transferred over. Um, I think one of my favorite companies that's out there that's got an active product is actually right out of Toronto. Uh, and they're called Buns. You may have heard of them because they've been this online trading and bartering platform for years that's been out there. These amazing communities of people that just trade the objects that they don't need anymore in their house. Um, but what we found is if two people didn't necessarily match on a trade, they would trade something like subway tokens or gift cards, these sort of pseudo currencies. So Buns has actually come out with a token of their own where if you don't have a match, you can pay for it with these Buns tokens and then use the tokens to purchase something else huh. uh, later. Yeah. That's a, so they've, yeah. Yeah, they've got, I think, 16,000 active active users with their wallets. And uh, yeah, it's a really exciting project and, and homegrown, which is great as well. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it. It gives you a way to trade something, but perhaps get change. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, this is my favorite saying in the blockchain world is we don't want a token, we want change. And that's really what a lot of blockchain is about, is about what is the impact that this new technology and these new cryptocurrencies is going to have on the world. Hmm. Um, so how did you get involved in this, uh, in the world of blockchain? So I started reading about Bitcoin on Twitter in about 2012. And my, as I call it, my pre-blockchain career was working in Central Africa with Doctors Without Borders. And you would probably assume that a lot of the places where we worked are unbanked. But when you think about that from a practical standpoint, we had a staff of 200 people scattered across six sites in the middle of, you know, the most remote place I've ever been. No water, no electricity, no internet, nothing like that. Um, and so if you're paying those people every month, you're paying them in cash. So for myself and for a lot of my colleagues, to be able to pay our staff, we had to carry knapsacks full of cash from the capital city to these remote projects. We're carrying them through military checkpoints, through you know guerrilla manned war zones, very dangerous places. And a lot of people have been kidnapped and injured and, and robbed doing this very task. And so for me, the first use case I could think of was imagine if you could pay all these workers with the click of a mouse from Europe and send them these cryptocurrencies across, you know, thousands of borders all over the world um, and, uh, and you know, stop any of the violence that we were seeing. So that's how I really got excited. And then once you start learning about it, the, the use cases are just exponential. The reality is you, you need access to the internet. But when you look at where the developing world is, they're way farther ahead than Canada and the United States for mobile, mobile money use. So they're already accustomed to this type of thing. And when you look at smartphone expansion, 
um, around the world by 2020, basically everyone's going to have a smartphone. And so I, I don't see that really as being as much of a barrier as it may have been, say, five or 10 years ago. Um, and so what's really incredible about this is as long as you have a smartphone or as long as you have at least intermittent access to the Internet, um, then people will be able to participate. And there's actually a really cool company out of Vancouver called RightMesh that's building mesh networks, which basically means that if you're in a community and one person has access to the Internet, if you're nearby their phone, they can transmit internet to you and then you can transmit it onwards to someone else. So you don't actually really need connection to the internet. You just need close enough access to someone who does have it. Fabulous. Thank you. Um, so uh, I'm going to end off with one last question about uh, what the future holds uh, for for blockchain. What do you see as the, the most exciting thing coming up in the future? Oh, my goodness. I think where things get really exciting is in decentralized models of governance, where essentially you could cre create a community that was all over the world. It wasn't harnessed by a border, and you can all have access to voting. You could put your energy buying and selling on blockchain. Everything would be automated and transparent, um, essentially replicating the communities that we have today that are, are stuck behind borders, but doing it in a worldwide global way. And I think that's really, blockchain for me, it's, it's about having the freedom to completely redesign the way we organize society. With very trustworthy data. That's exactly it. So I'm going to go back to uh, uh, to the the sentence in your bio. Uh, Anne Connolly is passionate about harnessing blockchain and decentralized technology to transform the lives of people in developing countries. And um, yeah, I think it makes sense actually to me now. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm at anneconnolly.ca and I'm always on Twitter at Anne underscore Connolly. The 2020 Network is brought to you by Interac. Interact helps Canadians access their funds their way. Products like Interact Debit and Interact eTransfer have made money mobile, taking it from the confines of traditional banking and ushering it into the digital age. As consumers adapt to new technology, so does Interact. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.